Tom may have helped overcome the opposition of some Fed board members and congressional overseers to significant quantitative easing. But Bernanke's academic work had already helped build a consensus among the overwhelming majority of mainstream macroeconomists about how to respond to financial panic. Put simply, they would have done the same thing in his position, albeit perhaps not as deftly. The extent of expert support for Bernanke's policies has been obscured by the almost hysterical rhetoric that has surrounded quantitative easing. In November 2010, Republican politicians, including Representative Mike Pence of Indiana, derided the policy as merely printing money and thus likely to result in high inflation without any benefits. The campaign of Mitt Romney, the GOP's presidential candidate, repeated that charge during the race for the White House two years later. Another Republican candidate, Governor Rick Perry of Texas, said that if Bernanke stuck to his almost treasonous policies, Texans would treat him pretty ugly. Even today, editorials and op-eds in the Wall Street Journal regularly warn of the dangers of the hyperinflation yet to come as a result of Bernanke's monetary activism. But quantitative easing, even on the massive scale that Bernanke undertook, is nowhere near as radical a policy as its critics claim. Central banks have bought and sold securities, including private sector securities, for centuries. It was only during a brief period, the so-called Great Moderation, which spanned the 15 years or so prior to the financial crisis, that economists and policymakers felt confident that simple adjustments to short-term interest rates were the only tools central banks needed to move markets in line with policy goals. It's true that economists still disagree about which kinds of assets central banks should buy, but most agree that such purchases in and of themselves hardly represent an extreme act. What is more, Few bother to dispute the good such large-scale asset purchases accomplished. As Bernanke describes, in the roughly nine months after the Fed finished its first round of quantitative easing in March 2009, the Dow Jones Industrial Average rebounded by 40% after having dropped in a panicked sell-off. The U.S. GDP growth rate crossed into positive territory, rising to nearly 4% and yields on long-term U.S. Treasury bonds ticked up, suggesting that investors were expecting both more growth and higher inflation. Although they recognized that the yield increase was not attributable solely to the Fed, Bernanke and his colleagues rightly took it as a sign of success. Compare those results to the record of the European Central Bank, which eschewed quantitative easing when an analogous panic hit Eurozone bond markets and banks in 2010. Exactly as Bernanke had predicted in private, and as a host of others had publicly warned, the ECB's inaction led to far higher unemployment, far greater drops in output, far faster declines in prices, and far more suffering among the European public. And although many factors were involved, It is undeniable that after the ECB promised to use quantitative easing in August 2014, economic conditions improved. Unemployment has eased, the panic has subsided, and GDP growth rates have recovered. Everyone's a critic.
Under Bernanke and Alan Greenspan, who preceded Bernanke as Fed chair, the central bank committed sins not of commission, pumping up a bubble, say, or reckless quantitative easing, but of omission. Specifically, the Fed neglected to take sufficient action to prevent the buildup of financial fragility during the first decade of the century, and it failed to act quickly enough in the run-up to the financial crisis. In the years before the crisis, the Fed correctly chose not to raise interest rates as a credit bubble grew. The real estate bubble would have continued to inflate anyway, and unemployment would have increased. But under Greenspan and Bernanke, the Fed failed to use its supervisory powers to curtail the buildup of financial imbalances, such as massively over-leveraged bank portfolios, historically unprecedented rises in housing prices, and the proliferation of mortgages offered on the basis of little or no money down.